This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. So my guest for today is Carly Delo. Carly taught middle school science for 10 years and has been a modeler since 2016. Currently, she's an instructional coach and technology integrationist in mid-Michigan, and she leads middle school modeling distance learning courses. Carly noticed the transformation in quality discussions, depth of knowledge, and student ownership of learning through the adoption of modeling instruction. As the new director of marketing for AMTA, she aims to expand the AMTA audience and introduce more educators to the transformative nature of modeling instruction. Here's my interview with Carly. Hi, Carly. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm well. I, we're staying clear of the COVID and, you know, isolating, self-sheltering and wearing masks and doing all that stuff that we're supposed to do. So, so far we're good. How about you with all that? Yeah, we're doing good. Um, I feel fortunate to be in a school uh, that is face-to-face, but also we haven't had um, a major outbreak. We haven't had a high number of COVID cases, so we're definitely staying safe. Great. Uh, Vaccines on the way or? Yeah, so I've um yesterday was when I was fully vaccinated actually. So that was 2 weeks oh. after my second dose. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Okay. That's that's really good news. So, um tell us how you first encountered AMTA and how you got connected and discovered it and and then a little bit about how it impacted you as a teacher. Yeah, so um, I was first connected with AMTA back in 2016, and I, you know, I was definitely not sure what I was getting into, uh, but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, So I took a middle school modeling workshop, and immediately I knew that, you know, this is kind of what I had been searching for as a science teacher, um, Mm -hmm. and I also, you know, very, very early on knew I wanted to keep taking workshops. I knew I was interested in a leadership role because it, it really did transform my classroom. So I had tried um, as a new teacher, you know, to use an inquiry approach, um, to use local science kits and find activities online. But students enjoyed my, my class. I think they had fun with the hands-on activities but they didn't, um, they weren't grasping the concepts. And I didn't know why at the time. Um, but looking back on it now, uh, it was the discussions that were missing. It was um, the storyline, you know, the storylines that are in modeling instruction. So I just, I saw, I saw a huge change. Um, and, and honestly, before I even deployed it in my classroom, I saw a change in, in myself because I had misconceptions. As a science teacher, I had misconceptions that I was realizing during that first modeling workshop. So um, w- when I 
started using modeling instruction, I noticed a shift in student engagement. Um, students were even even students who typically were not very challenged in my class. Um, all of a sudden, they were challenged because mm. they had to come up with their own conclusions, and so it really did change the experience for my students. Um, it changed the experience for me as a teacher. It made me really excited to go to school every day. And uh, so that's a little bit about how it all started. What would you point out as the major uh, influences or changes that you developed as a teacher from the exposure to modeling instruction? Okay. So before I, I would kind of teach a concept and then students would do a lab that was related. And then we would kind of um, have almost a lecture style discussion. Uh, but, but it wasn't a real discussion because like I said, it was me standing in front of the, of the class and asking, you know, what did you get for number three and kind of just sharing out that way. So, that was kind of what I did before. And then, you know, with modeling instruction, a big change is that students, before before you introduce a concept, students are doing labs and experiments and collecting data and then coming up with their own um, conclusions, their own ideas and, and proposing that to the class. So I feel like that order, the sequence of events was really different. And then the... I had to build my poker face. <laughs> that was a tricky thing. And it took me, it took me a couple of years to get that down. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that that was something that I did as a teacher, um, that I would give away the answer with my facial expressions or my tone of voice. <laughs> but, but that was, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's my favorite response to actually to student uh, comments nowadays is just interesting. <laughs> And instead of like great answer or you know it's <laughs> it's always interesting. What do you what do you feel like are are your biggest strengths as a modeling instructor? What are the things that you really feel confident in how you deliver them for your students? I feel like especially now, um, the skill of mine that has improved the most would be questioning. Um, so questioning students. Um, in a way that that gets them to think about the data in a different way or to kind of help them like facilitate that discussion to to help the class come to a consensus. So I feel like that was something that I really worked towards. And then also um, building a, a culture of, you know, community and building a class where people feel like it's OK to fail um, and that it's OK to take risks um, and make mistakes and admit when you know you don't know something. <laughs> admit when you don't know mm. the answer. So um, I would say as a modeler, those are some of my strengths. What What do you wish you had known before you began employing modeling instruction? What do you wish you had known before you got introduced to modeling instruction? I, I wish I would have... Um, I wish I would have found it sooner, definitely. Um, I w and I wish that, you know, 
I understood those pieces that were so different uh, from my instruction, like the 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 fact that students have to have a, a discourse about the data that they collect, and it can't just be um, it can't just be asking them, you know what's what's the conclusion and i'm looking for you know a specific answer based based on this cookie cutter lab that they did um and so i feel like that was a big realization for me and then also um this like i said before the storylines the storyline is so important you can't just have to teach a big scientific concept you can't have disjointed labs that don't go together um they they have to kind of come together uh to build you know, to build something bigger, to build a, a model. So how long were you teaching before you got into modeling? Okay. So I was teaching for six years um, before I got into modeling. In and middle school? Yeah, actually. So my, originally I was, I went to college to be an elementary teacher and I saw myself as a, you know, third or fourth grade teacher Um, my first job was second teaching second grade. And then three weeks into the school year, they had to make some budget cuts and they said, you're teaching middle school science starting, you know, in two days. And I was, uh, shocked and scared and, you know, unprepared. So, but I jumped into it and I realized quickly that science was, you know, in middle school was, that was what I wanted to teach. So, um, so yeah, then so six years and then modeled uh, in the classroom for four years, and then this is my this is my first year as a instructional coach and technology integrationist. So so it's a it's a big shift, you know, going from in the classroom to you know in the classroom sometimes, but helping teachers as well. Tell me about that role that you have with. Say what the title was again. So it's instructional coach and technology integrationist. Sounds really fancy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I do have uh, I have my educational technology. Uh, I have a master's in educational technology, and I got that I believe in in 2015. Um, it's when I finished that, and I I always had kind of a passion for not just using technology in the classroom, but using it in an effective way to enhance instruction. So that was always something that interested me. And then um, I just kind of, though, sat with that degree. And, and I believe part of that, I truly believe that part of that was because I encountered modeling right after that. And I realized that my my work was not done as a teacher. So like I said, when I got that degree, I was thinking, okay, I I want to do something with technology in schools. But then modeling came along and I realized, nope, we got to, I got to try this out. So, um, so I'm so thankful for that because this position now as a technology coach, there's also that instructional coach piece. And I truly feel that my experience as a modeler and with modeling instruction really um, enhances my ability to be a good instructional coach as well, because um, there's so many practices um, in modeling instruction that can be applied to other subject areas. So 
my role um, consists of, you know, I'm, I have my uh, regular daily like tech questions. I get a lot of tech questions and things like that. But I also meet with teachers in um, what we call coaching cycles. It's about a six week period of time. And I sit down with the teacher, we identify a goal that's really important to them. And then we meet weekly and, and work towards that goal together. So what I, what I like about this position is that is that instructional coach part that's added to the technology integrationist. Because um, if I was just a technology coach, I would be so limited. Um, anytime a teacher has a goal, I'd be trying to shove technology into uh, into what they're trying to do. And, and technology is not always the answer. Right. Um, sometimes, you know, there are simple straight like whiteboards and uh, yeah. big whiteboards and markers and and discussion. You know, those are things that can happen without any, um, you know, technology tools. And so that, you know, I'm just so thankful that that instructional coach piece is there because I can then when I'm working with teachers, suggest the best idea um, not just the one that includes technology. Because I do think oftentimes uh, technology is used for technology's sake or it's used to simply replace um, something that's already there. So, I, uh, you know, a lot of people will take a worksheet and digitize it and then think, oh, I'm using technology and this is a better lesson. Not not necessarily, you know, um, maybe, maybe that lesson actually would be better on paper because students need to practice their handwriting or they need to draw something out and that's hard to do online. So, um, so yeah, I'm, it's, it's an interesting role so far and it was an interesting year to make that switch during a pandemic. Mm. Oh boy. Yeah, for sure. So the teachers you work with as an instructional coach, are they in your school or your district or how, you know, what's the the reach that you have in connecting with other teachers? Yeah, so I work for, um, I'm the coach for our district. Now it is a small district. So we have uh, two elementaries, one middle and one high school, and the middle and high school are connected. So, mm-hmm. so it's a small district, um, but I do work with teachers at all grade levels. So that's also interesting coming from a middle school background. uh, Now I'm working with and helping first grade teachers and high school teachers. And so I constantly feel like I'm learning just as much, if not more than the teachers that I'm working with. And one of the, one of the things I'm realizing is that there are some misconceptions about what an instructional coach is and some people think that a coach is there to fix a teacher who needs, you know, who's who's not doing very well at a specific thing. But I have been making it a point to try to work with highly effective, you know, awesome rock star teachers because everybody has has goals. Everybody has room to grow. And like I said, some of those like I'm working with a first grade teacher right now who's just amazing and she's teaching me so much. Hmm, that's great. Is is there a, 
something that teachers come to you with that's rather common that they're struggling with or that they're mm-hmm. saying, hey, Carly, help me with this? Is there or is it just different every time you meet with somebody? That's a good question. Um I feel like I'll have a better answer in a couple of years, but yeah, I can talk about like student engagement's a big one this year. Um, people mm-hmm. are looking for ways to increase student engagement because that's, you know, one thing that's been, I think, challenging for most teachers this year during a, the pandemic, um, especially those who are all virtual. So, Teachers are looking for more ways to kind of do get get students excited about being at school. So let's let's talk about your new role at AMTA. Not only are you working full time as a teacher and a coach and all that stuff, you're all you've also taken on the role of uh, marketing director for the AMTA. And so, talk to me about that role and and the job and kind of what you're doing and if you can share any you know, where things are going with AMTA on that end? Yeah. So I've always, I feel like if I could have picked a second career, it would have been marketing. Um, I've always, I've always been really interested in it and I've always kind of, um, you know, gravitated towards any, if, if I'm working at a school that needs help with their social media or they need help making a, uh, you know, inspiring video for, for parents and students, um, I'm, I'm going to, I have moved towards that, that role naturally. Um, And same thing with, I've been in a couple of bands and I've always been interested in doing the marketing for that. So I always enjoyed that. um, But I felt like there was a moral dilemma. So like in in college, I really considered shifting gears and going into marketing, but um I feel like oftentimes in marketing, and I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes um, you're trying to get someone to buy something. You're trying to convince someone that they need to buy something that maybe they don't need. And Hmm. I felt like that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to stick with education. But then when this opportunity came along, when I saw the marketing for AMTA, I thought this is absolutely perfect because um, I'm passionate about AMTA. I believe in their mission and vision. And so spreading that message is something that, you know, is it comes easy to me because I believe it. And um, so that's kind of why I I was so interested in this role from the beginning. And mm-hmm. as far as, you, did you say you want, uh, we're wondering about kind of our plan? Yeah, your marketing plan, what you're doing, the kinds of things that we can expect to see out of your office. That would be really cool to know, I think. <laughs> yeah. So so I think um, step one with, with building, you know, a marketing plan that is going to work for AMTA. Step one is is really building a successful marketing team. And I feel like we've already done that. So um, we have a team of people who are working together on communications and marketing. And we all kind of, I feel like, have something different to bring to the table. And so 
that's step one. And then we, we have in addition to just the communications and marketing team, there's a whole communications committee, there's a diversity and equity team. So we all really work together. And it's interesting how collaboration is, is such an important part of modeling instruction. It's also part of, part of our marketing plan. Um, and I think it really does make us stronger. Um, the other thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is who are the people that are most passionate about AMTA? And those are people who are modeling, modeling instructors who are out there teaching this and who have seen how it transforms their classroom. So, so I think it's important to kind of leverage that passion and that perspective to leverage that to kind of, um, you know, communicate what, what AMTA can do for other people. So we want to encourage other modelers to other educators to reach out to other people in their community and tell, you know, hey, there's there are these workshops. Are you interested? You seem like someone who'd be interested in these. So we want to leverage that. And then I also want to expand that team approach to our members in a way where where our members do feel more connected to each other and we do have kind of a, a greater community. So I think that that's important, you know, within the modeling community, we want to build that. But then other than that, like, I, I really do think, you know, we're going to do more on social media and things, but we're not going to spend a ton of money on social media ads or try to make a viral video. Um, we're going to, this is kind of going to be a grassroots operation where we are reaching out to our local teachers um, and nearby districts and starting there and starting the conversation and just showing, you know, what, what AMTA is and what it can do for students and for teachers and then encouraging other uh, modelers to do the same. Yeah. Oh, that's, that sounds really cool. I'm um, I've always wondered about the, effort that a lot of companies put into social media marketing and what is the true ROI, you know, the payoff? Is it, you know, you pour into this thing that kind of goes out into the ether sphere, but what are the results and how do you track those results and that kind of thing? So it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, we're actually seeing um, the most um, engagement from those from emails, mm. emails mm. to um, te surrounding districts. That's why I'm saying that, you know, we're going with the kind of a grassroots approach um, because, because on social media, so much gets lost in, you know, there's, there's just so much out there and we are doing social media things, but the purpose of what we're putting on social media is oftentimes to provide resources for teachers and things like that. Um, and, and I do think that because, we're not we're not trying to sell a product we're trying to share this knowledge share this way of learning um and and so i think that that it makes us different than than a lot of companies who are marketing mm -hmm. we're not just trying to sell something we're we're really trying to to change the culture of science education mm. you mentioned briefly that you have played in bands 
And I find it really interesting because I've met a lot of science instructors who are musicians, who have music as a part of their life. And that wasn't something I would have expected to find. I'm a musician. I have been involved in lots of broadcast and that kind of stuff. And my wife is a science modeler for 30 years now. I'm not modeling 20 years, I think, but, but. But she's a great pianist. She's a wonderful pianist, and she's a science instructor. I find that really interesting. What's your correlation between the music and the science in your life? That's, you know, that's a great uh, observation. And uh, I think that the first thing that came to mind when you started talking about that was the creativity aspect. Um, Mm. And a lot of people... I think a lot of people who teach science in a more traditional way don't see science as necessarily a place where you can be creative. Hmm. But I would argue that you can't really do science without, you know, being creative, without thinking of new new ways to think about things. And so I wonder if that's one of the connections um, is just that creative aspect. Um, there's also... I feel like the love of learning is another another piece that kind of fits together. Um, people who are interested in science, I feel like generally tend to want to learn more and, and constantly grow because that's the nature of science. And with music, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. Um, as a musician, you're always trying to get better. You're always trying to learn something new and, um, yeah, that's I have not made that connection, but now that you say it, I can definitely see the correlation. Sometimes I think it might be I know for my wife it's a kind of a break, a a a way to oh. disconnect, you know. The music is a um a time that she takes to kind of disconnect from the rest of her brainy stuff that she's doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's that's also true. So, um Share with our listeners like your best tip for what you employ in the classroom, okay? And this could be something that you share in your uh, coaching. It could be, you know, connected to that world too. But just what is a great tip that you'd like to share? So um, I think that something that is really underrated in a lot of classrooms um, is setting norms, setting clear norms. And that sounds like such a, um, you know, simple thing, but I, I really do think that is so important to set norms, have students be part of that process um, with the norm setting so that there's buy-in, but then revisit those norms Hmm. and do that frequently. So the what that does is creates if especially if you're intentional with the norm setting it creates a, a culture where students feel like they can speak and be heard and be respected and as i said earlier it's okay it's okay to fail um it's okay to make mistakes and i feel like at the top of the list has to be respecting each other and respecting each other's ideas. Um, that has to be something that is not only 
said by the teacher. You know, all students should be be respectful of each other, but I think the teacher also needs to follow through with that. And if a student is being disrespected, um, there needs to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think that you can have a successful, you know, discussion or a successful uh, classroom without without that being, you know, a true feeling when, when students walk in your classroom, they feel safe, they feel like they will be heard. So I would say that is my biggest tip. And then as a coach, I can also say that you can tell, you can tell when you walk into a classroom that has clear norms. Hmm. Um, I think that sometimes teachers underestimate the power of what they say. But words really do matter. Um, the way that you frame a discussion, the way that you frame that norm setting situation, the way that you re- refer back to those, you know, or just frequently saying respect is a top priority in this classroom that that has to be um, upheld. And I, I just feel like some teachers or some people think that, you know, you can you could say all of these things, but it doesn't really matter in the end. I think that it does. I think it, it really, especially as an educator, um, students do listen to us. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's, that's really important. Mm-hmm. That's good. So I find that a lot of teachers, not all, but a lot are very uh, focused from their education and getting their credentials and all that kind of stuff into certain ways of thinking about teaching. And uh, I find that a lot of the most powerful teachers that I've met often kind of step outside of the rules a little bit. They don't necessarily always adhere to the – so are you a rule follower or is, are there times when you feel confident to, like, break the rules? And th- does it work out or, you know, so talk to me about rule breaking a little bit. Okay. So like by nature, I will admit that I'm a rule follower um, Uh in general. However, however, um, I'm not afraid to go against the grain Um, when it's when I I think that there's something that needs to change to benefit the students. Um, So so when if I notice something, if I notice a rule that really doesn't have the best interest of, of students at heart. Um, I will speak out against that. But then also, you know, a lot of, there are definitely, in a, in a lot of schools, there are these unwritten rules, hmm. right? Hmm. And that's that's the culture of the building. And so I've worked with, um, I've worked in cultures or environments where teachers think, for example, that Rules, you know, it's really important to be strict. It's really important to have rules. And I've actually heard, you know, statements like the kids shouldn't like you until October or, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. Yeah. and, and so that's definitely a culture that exists in some buildings and, um, you know, that students should be penalized for, you know, if they didn't bring a pencil to class or, you know, if you have your hood up, I'm going to send you to the office immediately. I just think that um, I've been in that culture and I've definitely pushed back against that because I don't think that's what's best for students. I think um, one of my sometimes frustrations 
is that we expect students so often to do things that adults cannot do. Mm. And, and that is, is frustrating to me. Um, do you know how many times I've been in a meeting and I'm like, Oh, I forgot. I forgot a pen. I forgot a pencil. Um, or, you know, even with, I know that it's frustrating when students don't have their camera on in, in Zoom or Google Meet or whatever platform you use. I know that's frustrating. Um, but I've also been in staff meetings where teachers do the same thing. Um, and so it's not it's not a problem with there's there's so often times when the problem isn't with students. It's a human problem. Right. Mm. There are there are reasons why humans, not just students, but there are reasons why humans don't want their camera on all the time. And so it's important to reflect and think about, OK, why is this happening? Why do sometimes people have their their camera off um, during a meeting? And then from there, you know, how can we talk to our students in a way that where they understand um, it's okay to have my camera on during these times? And then, you know, if I have to get up and uh, get a drink of water or something, maybe I could turn off my camera. Or if my pet runs runs across uh, the room, maybe I could turn off my camera then. So I just think that it's important to advocate for students. And so I've definitely gone against the grain when it comes to that. And um, as a teacher... I think it's really important to, instead of thinking of yourself as like the boss of a classroom, I think it's really important that you see yourself as a leader and that the students see that too. Um, you're, you're leading them in the discovery of science. Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily bossing them around. Um, we can think about jobs, most of us, where you've had a boss in charge of you versus a leader. And the leader makes you want to grow. The leader makes you uh, believe in yourself and and want to do better. And so I really, I feel like that's one way that I've gone against the grain or against some of those unwritten rules in schools. I know that was kind of a, a weird question, but uh, I find it, your answer was really brilliant. So <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, Carly, it's really cool that you're working with AMTA now. And uh, you started in January, I think, is what I saw. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. What, what drew you to the to work with it? I get the modeling instruction thing for your classroom. But what drew you to work there? What is it about AMTA that kind of, you know, makes you get excited? Yeah, yeah. Um, beyond the whole classroom transformation thing, which is a really big deal, right? Yeah. Um, I really appreciate AMTA is not, they're not shy about their values or beliefs. And they um, are, they make strong statements about um, why and how equity, diversity and inclusion are so important. And I just really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, I've worked in communities where people don't want to talk about race. They don't want to talk about equity. I have friends and family who that's not a topic that they want to discuss. Hmm. Um, and it's really hard to grow when, when people don't want to talk about, even discuss a topic. It's hard, it's hard to grow. And so I feel that, you know, AMTA has given me 
not only not only does AMTA encourage discussions um, about you know diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's enc- it's encouraged and it's fostered. So um, AMTA offers uh, there's book clubs that 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 were well, it was a thing. Um, they offered a book club about um, you know equity and diversity. Um, they provide webinars and trainings for workshop leaders mm-hmm. and it's a it's a talking point or should be a talking point at every workshop or virtual course hmm. so um so i just i just appreciate that because especially in times um think back to this past summer there were a lot of institutions especially educational institutions that were very quiet and very silent um as all of you know, as all of that was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I don't think those institutions realized how loud that silence was mm. to some people. Um, and and AMTA came, you know, had a strong stance on, um, you know, con- confirming or affirming their anti-racist values. And at that moment, I was just, I was proud to be a member of AMTA and that definitely that definitely um pushed me and encouraged me into this role. It was another, you know, it was just another reason of why AMTA is important and why I believe in their mission and vision. Mm, wow. That's great. I um interviewed Tanea Hibbler and uh what's it Ariel. Ariel, yes, yeah. uh, a few months ago, and, and we spoke specifically about inclusivity and and diversity, and and I probably need to revisit that topic again. I think with some people. So, yeah, I actually just recently listened to that podcast. Um, oh, and mm-hmm. yeah, and um, you know, I thought there was there was a lot of insight there. So listeners, if if you're listening right now, you should go back and check out that episode specifically because that was, that was pretty cool. And then in addition to, to that, I mean, I feel like right now science is kind of under fire and it's something that people talk about believing in or not believing in. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that is, disheartening to me because um it you know what do we what do we have if we don't if we don't believe in science or if we have a society that doesn't believe in it so um i really do think that in order to to believe in science um people have had to experience it and i'm not talking about remember at the beginning of the interview i was talking about my inquiry labs and and science kits um Mm-hmm. That's not enough to believe in it because you didn't you didn't do real science. You weren't going through that process of building a model um, and then, you know, testing the model, breaking the model and then revising it. Uh, I hear so much. I, I hear so often. Um, well, science is always changing. Hmm. Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. Hmm. Um, science is supposed to change when there's new information. Yeah. So. So the more people that we can get to to experience that, I think, you know, the better off we are as a society. And um, I just if, if we don't do that, if we don't show people 
what's going on behind the scenes. If people don't understand that, then, you know, some people might just see it as something to believe or not believe like magic and science isn't magic. It's, it's, right. it's, there's a process to it. And um, so I just think that in this day and age, that is, is so, so important to get more people thinking that way. Um, I could go on about that, but yeah, that's, um that's something that I think is important um, for people to see an experience for themselves. So the passion you feel is coming through. And uh, I really yeah. appreciate you sharing that as a teacher, not just the the methodologies and stuff, but also the humanity behind it, the heart behind it. And I want to thank you for your words about that. But I want to go back and ask you a question about, about your marketing uh, job. And tell us a little bit about like what's coming up and, and what you guys have on the on the front burner. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're just kind of closing up um, some spring virtual courses, some distance learning courses. Um, so, you know, if I, I don't, those are for the most part finishing up, but keep your eyes out next year uh, because we will be offering hopefully more courses like that in the spring. And those are really aimed to kind of build, you know, you, you start the year off with all this momentum and then uh, halfway through, you know, it's nice to just kind of have a uh, community to kind of talk to and then also I, ways to kind of build your craft. So that's, we're wrapping that up right now in the spring, but looking forward, um, we have a lot of exciting opportunities this summer. We have a lot of virtual courses. Um, and so those are similar to what the face-to-face experience is like. We just condense it down into, um, you know, a shorter period of time with some asynchronous work. But the exciting thing about the virtual courses is that it allows so many more people to to be exposed to AMTA that wouldn't normally have the opportunity because location is no longer an issue. So um, please check out our virtual courses. Uh, we've got a shortened URL. Uh, it's bit.ly, so bit.ly slash AMTA summer. I'm really excited because for some people, the virtual course works really well because of that time piece and because of there's no travel involved. Um, some people still, you know, want that face-to-face experience. And I, I definitely understand that. And there are some um, tentative summer workshops being planned uh, with safety as a top priority. So we have those on our website as well. But I do want to highlight the virtual courses last year um, in one that I was leading for middle school. We had a participant from Germany. Hmm which was just, it was just so cool to have a variety of people from different places. And so we're really looking forward to offering that again this summer. You know, the courses and workshops are so important for people. Um, To be exposed to modeling is cool with what you can get online and with the community with other modelers. But the workshops and the courses really help drive the the principles and the methodologies down deep and uh, so it's critical that people get into those I agree and um I when I was first starting I took you know the middle school modeling workshop and then I took the physical science uh, workshop for for high school teachers 
And me as as this middle school teacher, I cannot believe how much I learned. I learned more in that physical science than three weeks, that physical science course, than I did in all of my college experiences. Mm. Um, wow. And and so it's it's so powerful, like just for your, even for your own learning. Um, these these courses and workshops are amazing. So um, so yeah, I think it's it's a really great experience. And like I said before, I'm I'm really excited to see. Um, you know, what comes of it. Well, Carly, it's been an absolute joy to talk with you. And, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule, which is quite busy, to talk with us and share, you know, your perspectives. It's been really great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, perhaps we'll connect again. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.